Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Test Tubes and Cauldrons, a podcast where we talk about the science behind spirituality. I'm Astra. I'm Phil. (laughs) And I'm Honey. And this week we are going to be doing an episode on common buzzwords heard within the occult community. Some of our buzzwords focus on some misunderstood science. Some of them are primarily occult. Kind of just made a compilation of a bunch of things we've heard. And we're going to be talking about that today. But before we get to that, let's do our what happened on this day. We are currently recording this on December 4th of 2021. On this day in 1908, it marked the birth of American biologist Alfred de Hershey, who, along with Max Dillbrook and Salvador Luria, won the 1969 Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine. This prize was given for research done on bacteriophages, which are viruses that infect bacteria. And it was the famous blender experiment that happened in 1956. Hershey used an isotope, which was radioactive, labeled phage to infect a bacterial colony and then began to inject their genetic material into host cells. He then wired them in a blender to tear the phage particles from the bacterial walls without rupturing the bacteria specifically. Then upon examining the bacteria, Hershey found that only phage DNA, but no detectable protein had been inserted into them. This provided evidence that the DNA was sufficient to transfer to the bacteria all of the genetic information required to produce more phage. All right, so we are just going to kind of hop in, but let's kind of talk about why we chose to do this episode. Just like mild annoyance when encountering resources, because I feel like a lot of words are misused and a lot of concepts are kind of discussed in quite a shallow way. Deconstructing these terms will hopefully help to understand why they're misused and um, maybe what words we can use it more appropriately. Buzzwords, we talk about them all the time, I think, on this episode, just tangentially. We mentioned buzzwords in like our New Age episode or our episode on frequency and vibrations, etc., etc. I think it can be helpful to not just clarify things, but also propose new terms that are maybe better. I think we touch upon a lot of buzzwords in our episode just because of the nature of the podcast. But I think it's important, especially for us to understand maybe where those terms came from and the ways that they've been kind of misconstrued to have the meanings that they have today, even if they're completely incorrect, either scientifically or even just incorrect in the way in which they're describing something. So that's kind of why we decided to do this, and we'll just kind of pop right in and start with the one that makes me the most mad, which is quantum. I hate this term used in the spiritual community. What context do you all typically see quantum in? Because I usually see quantum when people are trying to describe the mechanism of magic. We can get into this a little bit later, but I often hear the double slit experiment, which is an experiment that was based in quantum science, conflated with the mechanism of magic as a way to explain kind of how it works. I see this more within the psych model and also in chaos magic than I do some other traditions, but I've also heard it elsewhere. Quantum is used like every everywhere like even in beginner books they'll talk about quantum or just random allusions to quantum mysticism there's some telltale signs that someone is dancing around the term quantum without saying the word quantum when they start talking usually they even bring up things like various forms of energies or they'll say oh we don't even know how certain things work so let me posit my idea but it's most commonly found in new age spirituality but it it still permeates the modern witchy sphere as well and definitely the chaos magic sphere i've noticed quantum woo in there as well 
I think some people have kind of a need to have a physical mechanism for something. And so if they can say, okay, this is grounded in science, therefore, you know, I can believe in this. And I don't know, I think that that's a, that's a trap that a lot of people fall into, despite the word being used in an inappropriate way. Yeah, I agree with that. I think quantum is often used to like give something a scientific validity, which is kind of ironic given the fact that within the scientific community, there's still so much unknown about quantum mechanics and like quantum physics. And if you talk to anybody, anybody who studies in that kind of area of things, they'll tell you that we don't know anything and we're more often wrong than we are correct about things. So trying to use that as any kind of validity when we don't even understand how it works in the natural world is sort of ironic. <laughs> I think it's a little ridiculous. Let's talk about kind of the problem behind its misuse. So across kind of multiple people in paradigms, have heard a lot of people reference the double slit experiment when we talk about energy. The double slit experiment essentially was the experiment done that showed us that energy has both particle and wave natures. Basically, there were these two slits, and you would imagine if you were to shoot something through at these, like this wall that has two slits in it, the particles that they get through would only come on the other side at these two locations. However, what we see instead is that we get multiple lines, which is reflective of a wavelength nature of said particle. I'll link some stuff below if you want to read more about it. Generally, kind of when I see this explained within the occult community, people refer to things like when we observe magic, it acts like a particle versus when we don't observe magic, it acts more like a wavelength. Like, Phil, you described something previously as having kind of like a ripple effect. And so the wavelength is more like the ripple effect. The particles is like more direct. And I see this misconstrued in chaos magic a lot when people say like, oh, in like also the second model, if you forget about something, it'll permeate kind of like better through the universe as a wave energy. And like, if you think about it, you are kind of destructively interfering with your desired intention or your will. I think that's a way that it's used that is totally inaccurate in accordance with like what the actual experiment is showing us. And it's also interesting because I think it forces magic into a box of like only being related to being a particle because that's really what the double slit experiment is showing us is that a particle itself can be both a particle character and also wave character. But I think magic is more than that. It's not just like some particle bound by like natural law. Yeah, I think it's almost used as a, um, a stand-in for ether, which we've talked about before, which is like this sort of previous um, invisible force that, is, that was thought to kind of permeate the entire world. And therefore, the, the quantum is like how all these effects are manifesting in this way that is not necessarily measurable because it changes when we try and measure it. Because that's a, a characteristic of the quantum things, as you, you mentioned, you've got the observer effect where something may change when it's you, you attempt to observe it. These effects are usually observed on a very, very tiny, tiny microscopic scale. They don't necessarily scale up and they also don't necessarily scale up to kind of large, complex systems, at least as far as we know. It's not necessarily accurate to just put this as a as a generic stand-in for any kind of effect. I agree. I think that's a big misconception is that, because I think that's, that's maybe where people get this idea of quantum relating to like a, on a macro scale, is that if you have a lot of things happening on the quantum level, then that will create like a larger result from it. Kind of like the idea that we have when we're talking about DNA and we have all of these hydrogen bond interactions between the base pairs and DNA that hold the strands together. And because there's a lot of them, that's what leads to the high temperatures required to like separate the DNA strands if we're going to do PCR or whatever. But I don't think the same thing applies when we're talking about quantum. But I think people have that kind of misconception that 
we see a lot of really small quantum events that then on a larger scale lead to this kind of overall mechanism of magic, but that correlation is not as linear as people want it to be, nor do I think things in the quantum level will ever act the same way that they do on the macro level. And people conflate these results of magic, which are on the macro level with things happening on the quantum when they are not substantially similar categories or even within the same realm. Do you think there's another word that we could use instead of quantum to maybe describe the mechanism of magic or magic in the way that people tend to incorporate quantum into? I don't necessarily mind if people use it as an allegory or they use it in the way that they would kind of use mythology because there were actually quantum scientists who, like um, Heisenberg, for example, he was very into the occult. He was actually friends with Carl Jung, who we talked about a few episodes ago. But I don't know that those people were necessarily using a sort of literal interpretation. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you can take the the broader concepts from quantum theory and you can say, okay, this this is like this, but not use it as an actual scientific mechanism. Does that Does that make sense? Kind of. I just think it's a bit of a bit difficult to use things as an allegory and then I think it just very quickly becomes people will take it literally you see that happening a lot so I I worry that if people use it as more a comparison that people will still take it to be this is actually what it what it is okay ban quantum no more quantum it's well spoken (laughs) ban quantum I don't have a problem with that (laughs) quantum is (laughs) cancelled I agree. Like, I think that even if we use it in an allegorical sense, people are still going to take it literally. Usually because when people use the word quantum, they don't say that they mean it in like a comparison kind of way. And they actually treat it like it is. It is like quantum based. And sure, you could use it and you'd say quantum isn't like super, super small. But even then, I think we get into the issue of like bringing magic down to this like ridiculously small level when I don't know if that's necessarily that like the comparison is there. And when it comes to a word to like replace quantum, I don't know if there is one. And part of the reason behind that is because magic is not science. And so they're kind of two separate ways of looking at the world. And so trying to force magic into the scientific framework, it means quite frankly, it's problematic. And so I think we just need to admit that magic itself is a mystery and we we should call it what it's been called for centuries, which is a mystery tradition. Like all of our cult traditions are mystery traditions because we don't know how it works and trying to force a scientific term onto magic is unhelpful because it constrains magic itself and it also misapplies the science. So it's like two bad things happening at the same time. So we don't need to scientifically like validate magic for it to still be effective i think in the case of doing it with quantum which is something that we don't understand to begin with just leads to even more problems down the road so i don't have a alternative word for it i just think we should (laughs) say it's a mystery and be okay with that if you are a quantum physicist and you're listening to this write to us tell us what you think as easily as you can absolutely how have you both heard energy used kind of within the wider occult community well i guess like energy work is like a whole paradigm right and I, it's very often used in visualization even in things like yoga used to kind of describe the feeling of like manipulating a particular force is yet yeah, i think visualization is the primary context that i see it in i see it happening a lot with people talking about visualization and energy healing it's very odd and no one has a definite like no one has a concrete definition for it so it's just like the energy and as if everyone should know what that meaning is 
but not everybody does. I don't know. It's like no everyone I ask has a different their own definition. I really struggle with the term energy because people treat the word like it's some tangible thing that we can feel and manipulate and use to like change the world around us. But scientifically speaking, energy is not some tangible thing. It's a measurement of the enthalpy and entropy of a system. When people utilize it in this way, like it's some tangible thing that you can manipulate, I really don't like that because it's it's just not accurate. And a lot of people use it to talk about manipulation of things kind of in the natural realm but if we're talking about energy in the scientific sense that doesn't even make any sense like you can't manipulate a measurement you, I mean you can mathematically if you really want to it's not something tangible you can like change or like shift the energy around yourself to be something different I've also heard people and this bothers me the most <laughs> I've heard people talking about like utilizing the energy of the elements to then manipulate like the natural world which is ironic to me because it's not like water doesn't have some like energy that you can physically touch and then use to manipulate water or, you know, fire really with any element. And I think there needs to be a distinction between when people are describing spiritual energy and energy of the natural world. Like there is a distinction there because energy in the natural world, again, it's not actually a thing. It's energy is a measurement of enthalpic and entropic circumstance. But if you want to talk about spiritual energy, that's fine, but we need to address it as such and stop using the word energy in such a literal sense when we're not actually talking about it in a literal manner. I definitely think there, there is a very strong line between people who are referring to energy on this like metaphysical level and people who are referring to energy on a, on a literal level. I think the there is like a metaphysical aspect in which fire has a different energy than water, right? Well, that's more like vibe than it is, which I don't think is a better word, but that's it's not necessarily what the literal group means by energy in which fire will like, it also ties into quantum woo a lot of the time, <laughs> where it's like this fire radiates a certain kind of energy and it will interact with your crystal's energy and create a new energy which will manifest, I don't know, anger or something, where it has this weird physical aspect to it. I mean, like, spiritual alchemy is a thing, but it's this weird bastardized spiritual alchemy or misunderstood yeah i think once again i I mean we can talk a little bit about mesmerism maybe but there are older concepts like um chai or chi which have been borrowed and then those have have been sort of rephrased as energy so they refer to something very specific but they maybe have become lost in translation and or colonization and that transfer has kind of caused the literalization of some more metaphysical context i think things like chi they they represent kind of what people mean by energy better I think part of what happened there is like with new age and the spiritualists and like theosophy and all of this we took kind of these ideas from the eastern traditions and then we translated it into something that people would actually understand but in the sense we lost kind of the original meaning of those things and so instead we're using energy to describe something that is actually not meant to reflect what's in the natural world regarding crystals that's another thing that irks me <laughs> when people talk about like a transfer of energy from the crystal to like another human right and people also use quantum in regards to this they'll say you know on a quantum level like the vibrations of the crystal can transfer to the person who's like holding it and alter your mood or you know whatever again that's just it's grossly inaccurate like <laughs> you can go back to our vibrations episode to kind of learn more about why it's so inaccurate but the vibrations that are occurring at like the molecular level of a crystal 
are so small that they're not going to have an impact on you as a human. And that's like not even even getting into like decay of vibration and all of these things. And so that connection to talking about literal energy, even though it is like more metaphysical in nature, it's very pseudosciencey and it's just not accurate. Yeah. Do we have like another term? I kind of wish people would just use, I don't know, but I also don't want to take Eastern like traditions and the terms for like the ether, the aether and like your soul and your spirit from those traditions and apply them incorrectly. But I think maybe people just need to talk more about zero energy, like celestial energy. Okay, fun question. If you had to make up a word for it, just like a completely random word that you want everyone to start using, what would you say? It's so hard. I just, my brain just keeps saying energy over and over and over again. I think my word is modge because I feel like it sounds like something that you can like mold and 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 change. Oh. Not very glamorous. I read this idea in a book called The Beginner's Guide to the Universe by Massimo Syndrome. And I like how they described it, which was that there you have this, he the term energy, which is like whatever, but you have this pure energy, right? That is energy without form. It's almost in that, in, in that way, it's almost not energy, right? It's like this pure thing. <laughs> and when it combines with matter, that's when it kind of comes down to like the material realm and whatever. And that's how you get matter. It was like this, this pure whatever incorporating with the natural energy and so then it becomes matter and so I don't necessarily have a word for it but like it's kind of what I think of when I'm worth thinking about spiritual energy I think of this like pure unadulterated thing that is separate from the material realm I don't have a word for it you can't ask me to be creative but I don't know maybe something like currents is currents any better oh than that's energy? good that's good it goes in with your ripple analogy as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on board with that one it's the cancer baby I don't know currents makes some sense to me it's hard because the word energy is so known Mm -hmm. that my associations with the word are very skewed i think that's the nuance that we maybe need to say here that within the spiritual community i think when people are talking about energy we all kind of collectively understand that we're not referring to energy in a natural sense but the issue is when you hit kind of the border of the occult community with like the non-occult community who view energy in a much more literal sense and so when then when we talk about it to them they think that we're crazy because they're like that's not how that works right and so in a way i almost wish there was a distinction just so that i mean kind of the occult community would gain some credence right it's like we're not just crazy people going against science we're just talking about something different but using the same terminology adaptogenic have either of you heard this word it's just me oh man okay i think i i see this a lot in um herbalism but like specifically in the kind of herbalism that is not like kind of animism, plant spirits, plant allies, but the kind of herbalism that is more medical adjacent in nature, which I already have a lot of problems with, but I digress. It's a really vague term. And formally, it's supposed to refer to any compound which helps the body to resist stress. But the nature of the stress it refers to is kind of vague. And so it can be emotional stress, inflammation, antioxidant. I even saw a study where they gave an adaptogenic compound to mice and they made them swim around and the adaptogenic mice supposedly were able to swim for longer. So it's it's just kind of like a really vague term. Can, can you see any issues here already before I kind of go on? Adaption to what, I think is my question. Which pathway of stress response are we looking at? Are we looking at stress response through like emotional, like you said, or physical? What pathways are we targeting? It's too it's too general. It's too broad. Because technically anything could be adaptogenic, right? Like if you really think about it, anything that causes an adaptation from normal or from one thing is adaptogenic. It's too broad. <laughs> 
Yeah, so this term came from Soviet scientists in the late 1940s, 1947. And basically it was the idea that it's a substance that could exert an effect on a sick and healthy individuals by correcting a supposed dysfunction. And the dysfunction is not specified. But then there were some scientists who tried to formalize this a little bit more in 1968. And so they, they came up with four postulates. So these are, it must be completely harmless. It must have a broad therapeutic spectrum spectrum of action. It has to have a non-specific action, which is odd to me, but also it has to have a normalizing or stabilizing action. And honestly, if I think of these postulates, I can't think of really anything that fits these, except maybe water. <laughs> is there anything that you can think of that kind of fits this, this definition? It's, it's very, very vague. A lot of these are contradictory, which I think is part of my issue. The broad therapeutic spectrum of action and non-specific but having a normalizing and stabilizing action, I mean, in order for that to occur, it would have to have a specific mechanism of action. And it wouldn't be able to necessarily be this, because even if something has a broad spectrum of action, it still has mechanisms of action. And it might be influencing different pathways in different ways, which gives it kind of this broad overall, you know, reaction in your body. But it still has a specific mechanism. I don't really know of anything besides water, <laughs> like you said, that is kind of just like helps without having necessarily a specific method, like method of action. Even the water, you know, allegedly has specific things that it does. I just think that's really that's really contradictory. Also, when we talk about things being harmless, I don't necessarily believe that ingesting anything as like a supplement or kind of outside of what is like required for a normal healthy being is entirely harmless. There's always going to need to be kind of some potential risk or um, of harm, no matter what you're taking, that could be considered an adaptogenic. <laughs> I feel like I'm not really suited to this, but it just reminds me of like back when I was in like the, um, the holistic community often runs very side by side with the new age community and they just come up with so many fucking words. And like, that's why I have struggled personally to like really dive into herbalism is because like, I don't know what's reliable. It's like, I don't know like medical interactions with things or, or anything about body science beyond like basics. So that's, that's why I've always struggled to like get into herbalism because they have like all of these buzzwords like superfoods or antioxidants that are often kind of no one knows what they mean <laughs> or no, like they're all clouded behind this sort of smoke screen that ultimately no one knows what they mean. I think you bring up a really good point actually because this term does appear in some scientific journals not necessarily good ones not necessarily good studies but you could if you were uninformed maybe you didn't know very much about um, the subject you could go on to google scholar and you could find the word adaptogenic used and see how widely it's used in some journals and think that it's a legitimate thing. Whereas if you actually kind of take a, a step back, you're able to see that it's, it's a buzzword. But it's, yeah, like you say, it's, it's really difficult for people without doing a lot of research to understand what is valid, like how useful these kind of terms are. I found out that this term is actually so vague, it was recently banned for marketing substances in the EU because it's just... It's kind of meaningless and it allows people to make sort of all sorts of health claims that need to back anything up. Most of the adaptogens don't fit the four postulates described. Like most of them are not harmless. Like pretty much everything, like you say, has a risk. And in fact, there was one study that investigated adaptogens and found that six of them that they investigated did have biological effects. So antioxidants, anti-cancer, lowering your cholesterol, stimulating your immune system. But 
these are all specific effects, right? Like it would be much more useful to refer to these as what they're actually doing because that means that you can um, select something you know, appropriate for your own health and it means that you can understand the side effects a lot better. So this is a term that I really, really hate and I wish that herbalists would stop using. It also refers to, I think, also like a wider spread issue within kind of the herbalism and holistic medicine community, which is that you can't attribute any condition to one pathway or one thing. Their body is so intertwined. Our pathways are so intertwined. If you look at cancer, I don't know if like anybody's ever seen those big posters where it has like all of the cancer pathways associated with like one type of cancer, so like lymphoma or whatever. And you'll just see like connections upon connections and there's like 23 pathways and they all intersect at different places and it's ridiculous. So to try and ascribe a single thing like stress to one pathway that can be cured or helped with one herb or medicine or combination of is quite frankly false and you're kind of lying to the community suggesting that so that's another issue that I have with a lot of that and so when we say adaptogenic it's like super broad but at the same time no condition is super broad like it just it, that's not the way it works um so there's another you know issue that you kind of have to be aware of when you when you go into herbalism or the holistic medicine field okay Hannah, we're getting to your favorite one microbiome Okay, I don't want to talk too much because I feel like I've ranted a lot. What do you guys know about the microbiome before before we dive in? What do you guys know about it? What kind of context do you see it used in? What do you think people understand to mean the microbiome? Fel's face right now is like utter distress, by the way, for those listening. <laughs> I'm just, I know really nothing about it other then like biome is like a place where things live in micro meaning small. So presumably some, uh, probably something to do with bacteria and other small microorganisms. Have you ever heard it to um, market health products? I have not, but I can absolutely see it being used to market health products. I hear microbiome a lot when people talk about your gut microbiome, right? Oh, that's- yes. I have heard gut microbiome. Yeah, that's where I hear it used most. And it's funny to me when people talk about microbiome because they don't think they understand how vastly diverse the microbiome is, especially with the human body. So often it's it's just oversimplified to an extent where like, again, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, your microbiome is responsible for this side effect when you take X thing. And it's like, well... No, I'm like, yes, but no, it's it's so much more complicated. Even your gut microbiome, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of different bacteria that alone make up, make up that part of your body. And also the misunderstanding that your microbiome is one singular thing across your entire body, even though your mouth has its own microbiome, your gut has its own microbiome, like your private parts have their own microbiome. Like it's a whole, like each thing is a different subset. And so to use this term in a general manner does a disservice to the diversity a bacteria that we require to like really function at our best. It's a, it's a thing that I see in herbalism a lot for the reasons you mentioned. It's like, oh, this this thing will restore your gut microbiome, usually gut, that's the one that people go for, and it will do X, Y, Z. And so these things are like, it might be anti-inflammatory or it might correct a food intolerance or it might even change your mood. Usually these term is used without a lot of context backing it up. Another problem with it is people use it in lieu of a mechanism so saying oh well we don't have a mechanism in it works in humans and therefore it must act in your microbiome without any evidence and it kind of fails to recognize that your microbiome in all over your body is very very transient so you can change it just by eating a meal 
having a, you know, having a drug, going to sleep, it changes all throughout the day. So it's not something where you can kind of take some herbal supplement and, and fix it. You know, it's, it's not a static thing. It's a transient thing. It, it lives in you and with you. And so, yes, that's so one thing I wish herbalists would stop using as well. It's also interesting too, when I hear people talk about like the microbiome and well, it, it, a lot of supplements that people recommend for this seem to also be metal based or have some kind of like metal affiliation. So if you take like more iron or whatever the other ones are, which I think is funny because although a lot of bacteria do require certain metals to like function and be alive and whatever, it's interesting to me that that's kind of one of the biggest marketing tools because again, it only targets a subset. And there's also sometimes this concept of like taking a supplement to get rid of like the bad bacteria in your microbiome, even though really there's not necessarily a clear distinction between like good bacteria and bad bacteria. It's kind of this symbiotic relationship. You need a bit of both, honestly. Or some bacteria that's classified as bad kind of outside of a microbiome might actually have a purpose within a particular microbiome. And so in that case, it's like, well, yes, if this was outside of it, you would want to get rid of it. But like in this context, it's actually helpful. And here are the ways in which that's true. And so again, it's kind of overgeneralization of like, this bacteria is bad and this bacteria is good. When in reality, it really is dependent upon context and where we're looking and the role that it plays in a system. Okay, one for Fell. What about patron and matron? This is a common buzzword. This is now, yeah, I feel like we got all the buzzwords here in this episode. Patron and matron, I recently had this conversation with Aiden the Witch on my YouTube channel, which I feel like I never plug on this podcast. You don't ever, ever. and you should. I don't ever, whatever. <laughs> Hi, I'm Father Blythe. I have a YouTube channel. Um, anyway, <laughs> so me and Aiden were having this conversation. The idea of patron and, and matron is... I feel like it comes from solitary Wicca specifically because Wicca is a duotheistic religion. In my understanding, it's a very generalization of Wicca in which there's the god and the goddess. And in like British traditional Wicca, like Gardnerian Wicca or Alexandrian Wicca, those gods and the god and the goddess are sort of kept secret, I believe, by the coven, like their true names. Uh, and any Wiccan can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I, I see this a lot in like solitary Wiccan books of like, finding the god and finding the goddess and i think that kind of became patron and matron because i i came to that term on my own i started using it more for like a literal patron of the arts kind of thing not like my singular deity but literally like patron of the arts i saw other people using the term and i was like huh i've never like seen this term before it's been a buzzword for a long time in the community i think Uh, and long time i mean like a decade at least but you still see it like People on TikTok will be like, who's my patron deity? Like, I see it all the time. Like, I was in a server today, and they were like, how do I find my patron deity? Uh, People have YouTube videos on how to find your patron deity. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely very heavily emphasized. I'm not sure if you guys have thoughts on it. I think it dilutes the importance of, like, that the role of patron and matron play in one's practice. Like, I don't do deity work specifically, um, but a lot of times I see people if they have like a singular deity in their practice, they're like, oh yes, this deity is definitely my patron or or my matron, you know, whichever is relevant. And it's like, not necessarily, I think a patron or a matron has like a much more pronounced role in a person's practice or regarding kind of the longevity of which that deity will be with an individual, but not every god or goddess has to have 
that title to like be legitimate and be worked with. Yeah, I see the uh, this argument come up on the Hellenism subreddit all the time. I mean, and I'm talking about this is just years of the same debate just going over and over and over. And it's usually like, well, in antiquity, people who, um, you know, were a particular profession might venerate a particular god. Like, you know, like weavers might um, venerate um, Athena more because of her association with weaving. And like, yeah, okay, maybe that's true. But the way I see patron used is almost like referring to like an HGA, like holy guardian angel type thing, like or like a guardian. You know, it's it's a very personal, intimate relationship. And I don't necessarily think that translates to you know, a profession-related veneration. Does, does that make sense? Like, it's a very, very personal thing, and I don't know that that is necessarily supported by history. I could be wrong, but... No, I agree with you. So someone like Sappho, I would see as a devotee of Aphrodite. Sappho is very devoted to Aphrodite, but I don't think... It wouldn't be fair for me to put words in Sappho's mouth and say that she was considered Aphrodite her patron. People like to make the argument that it was seen in antiquity, but I don't think it was. The ancient Greeks had hearth cults or personal pantheons that's made up of several gods, not just one or two. I'm totally ignorant on this, so apologies if this is a stupid question. But regarding something like the cult of Dionysus, would you then consider Dionysus to be like the patron god of said cult or no. But they would venerate other people as well, right? Like they, yeah. they just venerate Dionysus. Like Athena is a patron of Athens. There's patrons of groups, and it's usually patrons of groups or patrons of things. Like saints are patrons of things or groups, usually. The act of doing something, it's, it's usually not an individual. Oh, right. It looks like statistical significance is up next. This should be interesting. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> Both discussing stats and also just this t- discussion in general. What what grinds your gears about it most? Oh God, where to begin? I just think that firstly, the use of... So hang on, let's back up. Statistical significance is usually used to describe when you have a difference uh, between two kind of results and the statistical test kind of shows that that, that, that difference, it fits the statistical test. So the usual one that uses p- a p-value and a p-value is kind of the probability that a result occurred by chance. So a low p-value, usually below 0.05, is considered good. However, it neglects so, 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 so many other factors in scientific studies. So I work in the biological field, much like Hanny, and I think the thing with the field of biology is that statistical significance is something that's hard to really measure because it's not as controlled like and this is funny actually because this is kind of one of the biggest issues I guess my chemistry friends will take with me in the biological sciences is that like they can be very quantitative and say like yes this is significant no but it's not based on something like a p-value like it's very obvious because it's much more like cut and dry whereas in the biology field something that maybe has a low p-value Someone might say that it's significant, but it's actually not quite as significant because there's like all of these other factors involved. And so we talk about people often also conflate statistical significance with a true result or a or a false result when really I think there's a spectrum of statistical significance. It depends on the kind of test that we're using, depends upon the threshold, which is determined by the person who's actually performing the statistical analysis, which means that there's bias involved in thresholds. It's just like, it's such a muddy term and people use it so matter-of-factly in many ways. And they'll say like, 
oh, this, that's the other thing that people do all the time that bothers, like, bothers me. They look at a study and because a study says that it's statistically significant, they're like, yes, this is true. This is like, they said it was uh, statistically significant. Great. Like, this has absolutely been proven. Let's move on. Even if the statistical significance is like 0.01%. And I'm like, is that really that significant or not? Because like, that's, it's really not. And so then you have that, again, this like spectrum of kind of where does it lie? And you could say something is, but it's like, is it really? Yeah. So like you say, kind of clinical significance and statistical significance are two different things. Like something that something is statistically significant is just saying that there is a result which is so it stands up to the test that it's probably not due to chance. And there are some caveats to that, but we'll get to it. But that doesn't mean that it has necessarily an effect in a in a clinical sense. In the same way, you can influence your p-value results by doing things like p-hacking. So you can um, mm-hmm. basically like really, really large sample sizes, resampling, all sorts of things, which basically make something, the p-value appear very low, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the actual phenomenon you're investigating. And there's a statistician who's argued that um, significant p-values just below 0.05 are extremely weak evidence against the null hypothesis because there's a one in three chance that the significant result is a false positive. So that's, you know, that's a really, really high chance. And so I think that you need to, when you see a study, especially if it's one that you're a little bit critical of already, and it says something statistically significant, look at the test they use, look at the sample size, um, look at whether it's appropriately designed. All of those things are going to tell you a lot more than just a single p-value. You make a really good point too with how it could be statistically significant, but not actually be efficacious. Because again, like you said, we see this in clinical trials where like if you're looking at pre- preclinical data, which is data that's done kind of in the laboratory on cells usually, the data you could say, yes, we saw like a downregulation of the production of some protein based on the drug that we've used to treat. Even if it's statistically significant, that does not mean that in like animals or in humans, we're going to see a result of that. So whether it be tumor de- like size decreasing or whatever, just because something is significant kind of at a, in a laboratory, a preclinical manner does not mean that you will see a result of that later on a kind of a more like macro level of pimpy because there's so many other factors involved. When it comes to magic too, I think people misapply the statistics of magic. I'm, I'm you know, quoting that in that they have a control and sometimes they will overconflate this statistical significance of what they see kind of in their actual spell work in comparison to their control, even if it's not significant. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that people just want it to work, right? Which like, we, I get, like you want to see your spell work. But I think that's one of the kind of ways to keep your magic also grounded is by really like objectively trying to look at what you do and seeing if you do see a difference. And that kind of, kind of re-supports our fairly common take i think that having controls and magic can be really useful wait are people are people doing stats on their spells not like no no i'm not talking like quantitative like number stats i'm talking more like qualitative like Mm -hmm. compared to your control is a significant change or not type of deal no i don't know anybody who's doing like full-on stats with their spell work although if you are let me know i'd be curious to know what your like thing looks like for that let's do intention i feel like this is a very conflated term Attention, I don't know what it means. You know, just simply put, it's the thought that counts kind of vibe, but I don't know what the thought is, you know, like, 
oftentimes people are like it's the intention that matters like it, it, there's the there was a whole discourse last year this past year about intention is everything intention isn't everything i just don't even know what people mean when they're talking about intention every time i try to do some sort of magical working uh i intend not doing it correctly like if i'm doing a money bowl i intend on earning a lot of money you know like i i never intend not to so I, I, it almost feels to me like intention is almost like a conflated with energy and a more specific form of like personal energy in quotes. It doesn't really even seem to be what like actual intention is because otherwise, like if I intended to do things, you know, like most people I know intend to be happy or intend to make money. So it just confuses me what people actually mean by intention. I think people mean will as well, like energy and will, but they use intention instead of will. In my mind, intention is like how you, as your little macrocosm, and this may be nonsense, but that's how you kind of weave your little web of correspondences. You weave your web of what you intend to do and how you intend to do it and how you pull everything together into a directed result, right? But so when people say intention is everything, what they mean is, oh, you can sub this bay leaf with this grapevine because I have come up with an alternative use for it and it makes sense in this context but then I think that gets conflated with just like intention in the way where you just mean to do something like just just a thinking happy thoughts and hoping that something will come of it do you know what I mean I'm not sure if my my definition makes sense but I I do think that there are two distinct ways of thinking about it so according to the dictionary (laughs) intention means to aim or a plan, so kind of a method of, of what you intend to do. And I think maybe that's what people mean when they talk about intention is it's like, kind of like you said, Belle, you know, I'm doing a money bowl. So clearly I intend to gain money from this. I'm doing self-love spells. So I intend to change my perspective about, you know, something, uh, you know, about myself. I think the issue that I have with the whole intention is everything and just kind of how that word is so thrown around is that it suggests that everything is based on correspondence and the purpose of this spell. And if that was true, then like you wouldn't need to do anything other than intend to do it. Like I think intention is everything is also typically correlated with pretty heavily with the psych model, right? Because it's almost like if intention is everything and the reason why you're doing it is literally all that matters, then all you would have to do is say, you know, my intention is to gain more money, so I want more money, and, like, that would be it. So when people say intention is everything, I think they forget about the planning aspect. And it's like, if you intend to get more money, sure, you can do a spell for it, but there's more that goes into that. Like, what's your kind of overall plan? And then that ties into plan in accordance with your will, right? Like, people use it as a singular term that I think is overarching a lot of things collectively, And it would be more beneficial for practitioners, in my opinion, at least, to kind of break it down into, like, intention as in what, like, here's what I want, and then here's my plan to get it in accordance with my will. It feels very um, law of attraction, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll just think about it, and then it will come, and that's all I need to do. Okay, I feel like we need to talk about manifestation, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I feel like manifestation and intention, they all go into each other, right? Even in, like, the modern witchy sphere, I I see this idea of, like, manifesting. And, like, on some level, I do get what people mean. It's this idea of drawing something out of the macrocosm and into the microcosm. But 
it, it's more oh my god i watched this one video i'm not gonna name names but <laughs> it was talking is this privileged white girl talking about how she manifested this big old house for herself and manifested this big old life and i'm just like mm-hmm Sure, sure, that's a manifestation. Uh, also, there was a post someone made oh, sometime this past year where it's like, is it manifestation or is it just privilege? <laughs> I'm like, mm, it's true. It's legit ways. conversation we should probably have in the community. You know? Yeah, and like, I think a lot of times it's just bastardized versions of will is really what people are just kind of... I think my issue with manifestation is it's like, people say it and it's almost like they're saying that you can manifest anything and I'm like, I don't, I just, I don't, and it's so generalized. Like, also, when you ask people what they mean when it's like, what do you mean when you say manifest? Because, like, to me, manifestation is bringing something kind of into the physical world. But that's not necessarily, like, manifesting something from nothing, right? It's like, I'm going to take these things and, like, put them together and, in turn, manifest this other thing. But, like, a lot of times I, I see manifestation as, like, I'm going to manifest a house, out of nothing it's gonna magically appear and i'm like that is not what this means <laughs> i actually think i know what you two you're talking about with that video but it's just like it's not something from nothing and i think a lot of people think that's what manifestation is which is such a misconstruction of the term and i think it's also what leads people outside of the occult community to be so like that manifestation is so woo-woo because it's coming from nothing you're just like manifesting i don't and it's it's dumb i hate that word <laughs> i hate it so much I think we should do nuance because nuance November is over. No nuance November is over. I declared it on my channel that it was nuance full November. I think nuance is a buzzword, not in that people want more nuance, but that people like to talk about no nuance. And no one seems to know what nuance is. And this has been a big, I mean, this is a huge issue in general, like in the world, not just in the occult community. I would say that confusion around nuance or, or lack of nuance is a driving factor in a lot of political issues as well because of radicalization i'm not entirely sure how nuance is exactly a buzzword other than the fact that it is often just ignored blatantly i think of nuance is more of a buzzword just because of how often it's thrown around in situations that it's not relevant to like and nuance i would argue is actually probably relevant to most situations because i do think over generalization has plays an issue in kind of the understanding of certain things but it's a people throw it around all the time in ways where it might not even apply and i'm i kind of see here like i don't think nuance means what you think it means like when you say something that's nuanced we mean that there's more subtlety to a discussion than just a simple black and white it's almost a way of saying that there's a spectrum right and that it's not just two extremes that we're considering sometimes though i think people apply it to situations where there are really just kind of two extremes it's like a yes or no thing and then if you disagree with somebody they're like oh well you have no nuance and it's like well i don't necessarily think your opinion needs to have nuance as long as you're being civil about it right and I think it's a misapplication of nuance that makes it kind of a buzzword within the occult community. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from a little bit. Like it's, if, if somebody disagrees with you, it's often like, oh, well, you, don't, you know, you didn't consider all the nuances of this. It's like, well, maybe maybe I did. <laughs> maybe I thought about your opinion. It's wrong. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I, that's, yeah, I agree. It's, it's not necessarily used to talk about a very complex matters, although well, that's, that's how it should be used. Well, we are at our mark 
for hopefully the time that we end episodes. So we can call it there. We hope you enjoyed. We might do another episode of this if you have suggestions about words that you think are misconstrued or buzzwords in the community. Please suggest them to us either through our Instagram which is Testings and Cauldrons, or you can do it through our Discord, which we'll have linked below. And in the episode description of both probably the YouTube video and also the description of on our podcast sites. But until next time, have a good day, have a good week, and we'll see you in our next episode. Bye, everybody.